0: Yo, 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 thanks for checking out another fantastic episode of the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. On this episode, we have the pleasure of hearing from a gentleman named Max Keller. And Max gives us incredible insight into the world of business, specifically real estate investing. But what you're going to hear from today's episode goes far beyond just real estate investing. The action items and the mindset and the things that we're going to talk about in this episode can be used in any entrepreneurial journey. So, whether you're a new entrepreneur or a seasoned vet, this episode is sure to leave you with actionable items that you can implement today. Enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast, the show that features amazing stories of recovery and success. Experience the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and sobriety and the mindset it takes to be successful through the lens of our guests. Now, here's your host, J Ball.
0: Yo, 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 welcome back to the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Justin and I'm your host. My guest today uh is some is a gentleman who reached out to me and I'm thankful that he did because I think he's got a lot of knowledge around real estate and entrepreneurship, but also I think he's got some some other challenges and things that maybe we haven't touched on here on the alcoholic entrepreneur that I'd really like to dig into. Everyone has their own story, everyone has their own struggle, everyone has their own journey to get to where they're at and my my guest, Max Keller today, uh, is here to talk about his journey into entrepreneurship. Max, welcome to the show. All right. Great to be here. Can't wait. Awesome. So listen, we kind of just start out always uh, and, and just hit rewind and go all the way back. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up, Max, uh, uh, where you're from and, and what life was like growing up for you.
1: Yeah. I, I grew up in a suburb of Dallas and... Um, It was pretty good. You know, uh, there was definitely some kind of income struggles at times, you know, in my family. So it 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 really motivated me to like, want to make money. So I always, I always have been like that. I don't know how to explain it. You know, just like, just as like a little kid, like selling, drawings, selling candy, just like selling stuff all the time. And I went to, um, a private school, but I was like the only kid that was really not, you know, parents that make a lot of money, great parents, um, you know, did their best, worked super hard, but you know, I've kind of always felt a little left out uh, because you know the other kids were just doing seemed so much better financially, and it really motivated me to mow yards. And you know, I had a I had like a year round job since I was fourteen, so I've just always been um, just always been working, and really struggled in school. wasn't interested in it at all. My grandma helped raise me, and so that was a great great uh, example, like role model. She's like the nicest person. And I took care of her for about 15 years and, you know, took her to church, paid all her bills. So it was kind of a, it was a life where I basically, um, I learned a lot of like good principles, you know, growing up. And then I just felt like I was always into being an entrepreneur and making money. It just took me a really long time to put the pieces together. And, and today we'll kind of like, you know, just kind of reflect back on that. It took me to like probably age 35 to really kind of figure out how to put it all together. Yeah. Uh, because it's more than just, you know, grind, you got to kind of have the right plan. You got to have the right formula. You got to do, you know, the, you got to do the tactical part too. So it's, but it's been good. I wouldn't trade anything. You know, I wouldn't go back and change anything. It's all kind of, you know, led to this point.
0: Right. It sounds like you grew up knowing that you had, or maybe you didn't know fully, but you, you had, you had an entrepreneurial interest. You knew you, you were making your own money early. Yeah. And so that, that seed was already planted. Now, as you grow up, what made you decide to become a a math teacher?
1: Oh, great question. Well, it was a lot of things. One of it is just because I've always been good at math and my wife encouraged me. She's a teacher. And she said, you know, so kind of before I was a math teacher, I was working in corporate uh, finance. I majored in finance at UT Austin and I thought I wanted to, you know, finance money. You know, it's like I had the desire, I had the work but I didn't really understand the formula. You know, I didn't understand how it all worked. And so I I did the corporate scene. I worked at a fortune 500 company and just, you know, really didn't like it, became a recruiter and that was good. Then what happened was I started my own recruiting business and I failed miserably. And the reason, I mean, obviously the end of 08 wasn't the greatest time to start a recruiting company. Everybody was laying off, but I definitely could have made it if I had the mindset that I do now I thought I wasn't coachable. You know, I, I was good at lead. Con- you know, it's three things we do as business owners, right? We generate leads, we convert leads, and then we have the product and service offering. And my recruiting product and service offering was good. My converting skills were really good, but my lead gen skills weren't there. And so I was working for another big company and they were bringing in all the leads. And I was like, man, why am I splitting the deal with these people? I just go and get the whole thing. So I was immature. I really wasn't aware. I wasn't developing myself at all. I had kind of an entitled mindset, even though I'd always worked hard my whole life. I just didn't really understand how hard you have to work to be an entrepreneur. I didn't understand income-producing activities. I just didn't understand anything. I wasn't reading, you know. I didn't actually know why I wasn't reading. I knew I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't interested in it. I didn't get dis- uh, diagnosed with dyslexia until I was much even older. But you know, I just didn't have the things that you know now I know really helps your chances, and so. I was still working, but my income wasn't, you know, where, where it wanted to be. And I wasn't happy. And my wife said, you know, you love, we had a bunch of kids at the time. She's like, you love kids. You're good at math. You had talked about being a teacher. Cause I had gone to her school and seen, you know, her with her kids. And I was like, you know, you just like hit it off. And yeah. I'm like, man, yeah, this is yeah. like great. And so anyway, she said, why don't you try it out? So I did. I um, just recruited a couple days a week and I substitute taught a few days a week. I'll tell you what, you know, graduating from a top five business school to being a substitute like six years later and having a failed business, I felt like, you know, I was working three jobs. I was working, I had an old car that was just a total beater. And I literally, I would substitute in the morning and then I'd work at a, like a tutoring center in the evening where I was probably bringing them in like a hundred bucks in revenue and I was getting paid ten. And then I would tutor on the weekends at the library. And I was like, man, what happened? You know, like I really screwed this up. But, you know, that's the coolest thing about life is that as long as you have energy and you have determination, you can just like keep going. And teaching math was the greatest gift I've ever received because what I really lacked that I didn't get is I didn't have discipline. So it's one thing to go out and work in spurts. It's another thing to go out and work you know, very sustained for a long period of time. And I didn't have that. I didn't have good discipline. I felt like that was really what was holding me back in school. I tell people like it's, it was like joining the military because I felt like, um, you know, I had 15 bells that told me what to do every, every, you know, 50 minutes for, you know, seven years. And I got teacher of the year, my first year, rookie teacher of the year, I got an award every year. And it was the first time I had ever achieved success. And so for me, the lesson was, you know, I can't live other people's lives. I have to do what, you know, you know, God put me on the planet to do. And, um, and I got to listen and it doesn't always come whenever I want it to come. So I felt great. It was the first time in my career that I was like the top person. And, um, and I plan on being a teacher my whole life. I never wanted to quit. I didn't have one day that I didn't enjoy. I coached football, basketball, and track. And it was like, it was just like heaven on earth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But
1: then, um, yeah. I wanted to make more income. So you know, I decided to um, get into real estate and it took me to a
0: a whole nother place. Right. Right. You hit on so many great topics there, you know, just from, from the beginning, you know, and and the mindset and just the, the not knowing, like that's the biggest issue. Like it, it, me too. I did, I had no idea about business literacy, you know, I just, I just had no idea. And there's a big flaw in our school systems. I think teaching financial literacy uh, and, and teaching business literacy and, and because, well, I don't, I don't know why I have my own opinions, why, but there's just big business, you know, and, and, and whether we like it or not, we're we're subtly or not so subtly being herded into these giant corporations um, and working for somebody else's empire. And so, you know, it's from the very beginning. I can see, you know, your journey, like probably many other people's journeys. They they have something at the very beginning that's just so childlike, and it's so, um, it it's so pure, right? That that thinking, that form, that natural uh, entrepreneurship that you had growing up, that it just gets diluted as you get older, and and we start being herded like a bunch of cattle but I love that you made it out. And I love, I love that, that you turned to real estate. How did you turn to real estate? What was, why, why real estate out of all the things you could, you could have done? Why real estate?
1: Yeah. So I guess I kind of always have liked to work. Um, And so it was summer and we had the summers off and I wanted to make more money and my family was growing. And I was like, I was looking for some different ways to make income. And I didn't know like what I know now, when you say like, there's like, there's like business literacy, like how to actually run a business, which is like so different than working in a business. It's like, it's like almost not even related. And, and then when you, when I read Perry Marshall's book um, about, um, about, you know, the different types of like, you know, dollar per hour activities and 80, 20 sales and marketing. And, and I learned about how there's like thousand dollar an hour activities. Like, I didn't know any of this stuff. I was like, what is, cause I always drove around these, you know, in Dallas, it's a real mix. And there's like, you know, some areas that are really, the people are really struggling financially. And then there's just like miles and miles of houses that are just like mansions. And I I would always drive around when I was a kid, when I got my license, I would drive around, look at houses. I always wanted to live in a really cool house. And uh, some of my friends did. And I was like, this is like amazing. And I was like, I'm going to do this when I get older. But it's one thing to say it and want it. And it's another thing to actually do it and, you know, know how to do it the right way. And so, so I always had an interest in real estate and my friend had just bought a rent house. And so it's summertime, 2015, I'm looking for some opportunities. And what I'm noticing is a lot of my friends are talking about wanting to make money. And then as soon as we get to like trying to partner on something and have a side hustle, they don't want to do it anymore. They come up with all these excuses. I'm like, huh, you know, I can't do that. Like I'm ready. And my friend said, I bought a rent house and I was like, what? And he's a real conservative guy who worked for the government. I never would have thought that in a million years. I'm like, and he goes, yeah, you know, my family's getting older. My pay's kind of locked in. I got to do something. And so I'm, my, my goal is to just like buy like one rental a year. And then that way, when I retire from the government, I'll have like, you know, some extra stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I should do that. Yeah. So that was like my original thought process. I wasn't going to leave teaching because I loved it. You know, I like, I cry like once, like every 10 years, you know, and like, I, like the day I quit, it was like terrible yeah. because I just miss it. And, right. uh, but it worked out, right. I got the bug. Right. So, you know, I like, I tried it yeah. and then like that first year, it just like exploded. I right. did my first deal. Right. You know, I made, uh, like five figures on my first wholesale deal. And I was like, what? Yeah. I did yeah. another deal. And then yeah. I just decided, you know, this is where like the signs are there. Right. So I just need to go full-time and right. I just jumped in.
0: That's awesome. I, I love that story you know, your story is a lot like, is a lot like my, my fiance and I's, you know, we got, we, we always had something in the back that we wanted to do. And real estate was one of those things. Uh, and we, we were hospitality professionals and we were, you know, working in New York city and I was there for about 15 years. Uh, you know, my story, you know, brings along an addiction that drove me out of, uh, that drove me out of the corporate world and into entrepreneurship, which was a life-saving event. But it's just incredible that we don't teach. uh, We're not teaching our young ones uh, like that. We should like, we should these options, these Mm -hmm. options grow to grow up and be these, these things and be these things that they're dreaming about like real estate investors. You know, we're not talking, I don't even, I'm a real estate investor. I don't even have my, my real estate license. I'm strictly an investor. I learned, I I taught myself through an educational program, which was my journey, how uh, how to leverage money and debt, and uh, and how to use hard money lenders, and how to find private money lenders, and and how to talk the talk and walk the walk. But like you said, after all of that, after you know every how to do it, you have to take action. Yes, and you, and you got to put your money where your mouth is. And like you said, when you get your friends. I had the same. I had. I had the same thing, you know. I get. I get friends talking about. Hey, I want to get this. Or I want to get this. And and at first, when I told my friends, "Hey, I'm starting a real estate business," you know, and they're like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever," you know. And I can. No, I'm serious. And I would give them updates and blah blah blah. And now, three and a half years into it, you know, we're flipping and selling homes for over a million dollars. And. I like what you said on our previous show that you did, you know, that you're not perfect. You're not done. You're not, you know, we're not, we don't know it all. We're not the best real estate investors out there, oh. but golly, you know, the, what the skills that we've taught ourselves, uh, just coming out of the corporate world. Cause I think you also mentioned in the previous show you did that. You you weren't building any skills. You weren't building yourself any you were just a robot. You're just a drop in a bucket. You're just another one of of the, the millions of employees for these major, major companies. And you're not growing. You you literally get stuck and you're doing the same repetitive thing over and over and over and over, not growing, not building new skills, not learning new communication, not talking to new people and different people and, and, and putting diversity into your life. You're actually removing all of the diversity out of your life and you're becoming just a one, a a one trick pony, Uh, you know? And, and that's, that's super unfortunate. It's super unfortunate because we are all made to be so, so, so much more than a one trick pony. In fact, I think God has made us to be really great at a ton of different things, you know, but it's, it's up to us to listen, to act. And I say God, because that's, that's who I, that's what I refer to him, whatever your higher power is with the universe, you know, there's, there's that relationship there. And I, and I have to take action. I have to take a step forward with the willingness for change with the willingness to step into something that I don't know and to step into fear or through fear and be willing to do that. And, and then, and then God comes in and helps me figure out what that process looks like. But the dreaming part is great. Like dream. We need to do better as people of teaching our young people how to go after those dreams and, and be okay with getting a job, but still actively trying to chase your dreams. Yes what is, what's your relationship with mindset and, and, and kind of some of the things I touched on and moving from a very limited mindset to an abundance mindset.
1: Yeah. It's the most important thing. There's nothing, there's nothing else. There won't be one more thing we say on here that I say is more important. It's the most important. And it's amazing how, how, um, how far you can go if you, you know, you think big and, my kind of philosophy and I get this from Felix Dennis who wrote the book how to get rich he was a 400 million dollar publishing you know um, business guy started from nothing he said he, he he's always uh, he thinks big and acts small meaning he when he was starting out he wasn't you know spending money on just things that weren't growing but he had big big vision and he was keeping costs down and he was really you know learning how to take a lot of things and push it to the bottom line. And I've been around, you know, I met two billionaires last year. You know, mm-hmm. there's not that many of them. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, like I met them in person. Yeah. You know, I met people who um, just, I, I mean, I met so many people, New York, I think they all live there or they go there. Um, but I went to this uh, family office club meeting with some of my real estate friends, one of my friends, is a charter member there. And there was people there who are representing all of these families, you know, the Rockefellers, I mean, just like generational wealth. And, you know, I met uh I met a family who bought this huge skyscraper in the city that, um, you know, if I said the name of it, everybody would recognize and they paid cash, like, and it's, and it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable how small I was making my goals when I see what's really out there. And it's just like you, I love, um, you know, I really do like uh Dave Ramsey. I think it's a good play- way to get like halfway. I yeah. mean, it doesn't teach you the whole thing, but right. you know, if you're just buried in debt and you you know, and you have no income, I mean, that's going to be really tough. And I like how he says uh you know, he talks about um you know, if whatever you set your goals for, you probably achieve that and just about that, you know, and not much more, you know. So like growing up, my folks always had um they weren't really money motivated and their goals was always, you know, just like to pay all their bills. Right. right and, right. um, and most of the time, 99% of the time they were able to do that, but it didn't really go that much further. And so I've had, what was the craziest experience I had that maybe I can share is I'm in this, I'm in this room and it's a very private room. There's about 300 people and half of them are very, very wealthy families. Like, you know, uh, um, a So hundred million net worth and higher. And then the other half are people who do oil and gas investing. And we were there with some real estate investors. And so they're kind of like partner together to try to fund deals. And these are bigger deals. And I was there just to learn. And, and it was like the who's who of venture capital. They had all these panels all day. And I was hearing what they were talking about, how they vet deals and how they vet borrowers and how they do everything. And what was amazing was, is that they're talking about buying office buildings and these huge deals. And, but the way, the things that they looked for when they were looking for a good investment, a good person to invest in was like 99%, the same criteria as just for like our, you know, 30 single family deals a year that we were doing, you know, in dallas Fort Worth. And I was like, but you know, the difference was, is a couple more zeros. And so really taking the mindset and just adding more zeros to it, it's you know, Elon Musk and, you know, the person who owns a little local grocery store, I mean, they both work hard. It's just one of them is in a different, you know, more scalable thing and, you know, more different types of leverage. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the mindset was huge. Um, And then the thing is, is like, for me, mindset was two things. Uh, One was who I hung out with. You know, Jim Rohn talks about you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And um, so it it was hanging out with different more successful people and learning. And then the other thing was reading. I was noticing that when I got into real estate, probably the best thing I ever did was after my first deal, I got into a mastermind with some really solid people who had been doing investing for like 10 years. And they, um, and they taught me so much and being around them opened up my eyes. But what I was noticing was everybody was reading and uh, they were reading like a lot. These are really busy guys, you know, and they're reading like a book a week. And I'm like, huh? huh? And I just kept hearing it. I was like, okay, I want to be like that. I want to do these big things. But then I, I never have read very good at all. I only read like seven books you know, for the first 35 years of my life. And I found out not until I got into real estate that I'm dyslexic. And I got with a coach and she helped me read better and used all the different strategies. I started doing more audible books. And now I read a lot and then now I actually write books. And so I would, I would have never if I went back to my high school English teacher and, you know, I used to make fun of people who read books when they had the movie out. I was like, why would you read the book? Yeah, when you can yeah, watch yeah. The movie? And now, so it's just like, if you keep your mind open and you have good awareness and coachability, I mean, you can go from, like I said, I didn't even I only read, didn't read very much and it kind of showed. And so helping getting somebody to help me learn how to read better and it was hard, you know, I'm 35, you know, maybe halfway through or something. Right. And it's like, but I just really wanted, I was really clear on what I wanted. And um, my mindset was open to the fact that there could be change. So that's kind of what
0: we did. You you, You hit on a few things right there and humility is, is a, is a big theme that I'm hearing because at 35, learning that you're dyslexic and learning that you have a learning disability is probably not the best thing you heard all year. It also could have been a huge excuse of yours to yeah. not read. And yes. to it could have been a crutch of yours, which it's not. Yes. And I'm glad it's not. But I, I, I agree, reading is is huge and, and it and going back to what it takes to be a business owner and an entrepreneur, uh, rather than an employee in that limited mindset is is doing this, is marketing yourself is mo and and uh, what I'm finding the more private money that I'm raising that they are more interested in investing in who I am as a person, sure they want to see my track record, sure they right. want to see that I can perform with their money right and and that takes a, a little bit of finessing to do, especially if you're a new entrepreneur trying to get into real estate. I get that part, but once you get a little bit of experience, even just one deal they they the investors that i'm that i'm borrowing money from are, are more interested in me and who am I as a person and, and what am I doing and what are my intentions? And, and so, you know, you said like when you get out of college and, and you have this entitlement of like, I should be, I have this degree, I went to this school, I have all this great knowledge. I have, you know, I have this piece of paper that says I can do X, Y, and Z. But until your boots are on the ground, until you're in, you're getting dirty and, the school, you can only learn so much from books. And, and, and quite frankly, if you're into real estate, there's very little through a normal academia that you're going to find in on real estate investing, you know, you're not going to find very many courses, not even in college, really. You're not going to find, you're not going to find these, these different creative ways of leveraging to, and, and tax and tax, you know, tax literacy and under like, understanding how the rich stay rich and how they defer their taxes or, or just completely don't pay income tax because of, uh, because they own a bunch of LLCs and they're business owners, those little things that people don't understand. And and I know I keep going back to, to just needing to educate our young ones sooner, but I believe that because I am a three sport coach now too. So a little bit about me, I'm a a three sport coach in high school. I do this podcast. I do real estate investing. I have a little, I have my foot in the door in events. uh, So, coming out of the corporate world is, has allowed me to do all of these things. And it's been, and it's been incredible. What is, what has it been like? When did you learn that you had dyslexia and a learning disability? What, and I guess what was, what is dyslexia for you? Uh, what was it like growing up? And, and after they told you, can you, can you go back to, to your younger days and say like, yeah, like, these are some, some things that I was dealing with back then that I had no, no idea about.
1: Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So it would have been found now, but back then, you know, I'm, I turned 40 this year and it's just, you know, school changes a little bit. And um, I went to a really small Catholic school where they didn't have, you know, like special ed and stuff like that. And they just weren't as trained to, to look for that stuff. And so one of the things that was going on with me was like, my penmanship was terrible and my spelling was terrible. I mean, I couldn't spell anything and I tried to learn foreign languages and I can't, I couldn't say words good. You know, I couldn't pronounce words good. And I couldn't um it was just like a million things. And I the re- reading was a real struggle. I'll tell you the most stressful part of the first 18 years of my life by far was like by third or fourth grade, we would read and you'd start in one corner. I remember Mrs. Barden's room and we would start in one corner and you know, like go down the rows. And I was like in a like a sweat panic because everybody else could read so good. And when I read, it was so slow. Um, when I would read, it would, um, I would, if I was reading on my own, which was so rare, I would, I'd read a little bit and I would like forget what I said. And it felt like the words were kind of moving. And like, there was like this huge glare off the page, but there was no glare and Mm -hmm. it was just so weird. So I just, I was always pretty good at like just talking to people and making friendships and stuff, you know? Um, and, And so I just kind of got away, I moved away from reading and just focused on, listening and how I kind of got through school was just, I can remember like anything people say and like from years back, you know? And so I've always been like that. So that's kind of how I got through school is I would just listen and I would remember, and then a little bit of test taking. And then, and so I, and then you know, I found out like, you know, some people learn a little faster than others, you know, and, and I was one of those, I didn't know. And so I would get like C's, like, you know, 78s, I think it was like my normal score. And so it was like enough, high enough to where, you know, it wasn't like tripping off the radar and they were like, oh, he's just like, you know, lazy or he's not wanting to do stuff. And then, you know, it's funny uh, because when I was a teacher, we had a lot of these um, uh, special education meetings with the students and the parents, and they would talk about, you know, dyslexia, of course. And one of them was, you know, ADHD. And I wasn't educated. I thought it was like made up. You know, I didn't, I thought they were just like making. it seem like everybody had it. And then um, what happened with me, I don't think I've ever told anybody this story, but what happened with me was when I started real estate, this is like when I figured it all out. And I, 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 I figured out that I wasn't reading good. It was because of dyslexia. And I, and I got with a coach and I was like, okay, this kind of explains it. And then I started drinking coffee for the first time. You know, I'm 30 at this point, like 35. I'm drinking coffee to try to stay up. You know how it is. I mean, you're teaching all day, Yeah. go home. And I want to work until, you know, I as late as I can. Right. Because I'm doing both. I'm working, you know, teaching and doing real estate. And so I'm drinking coffee to stay up and like, it's not working. And I'll drink like a cup, nothing happens. I'll drink like two, three, four cups. And I'll get like real tired and go to sleep. And I told the people up at work, you know, the teachers about it. And they're like, they've been drinking coffee for like 30 years and they're like, man, like that's impossible. Like I, if I drink anything after seven, I'm up all night and I'm like, no, I'm drinking like four cups. I'm going right to bed. And they're like, they never heard of it. So I Google searched it. I'm glad that that's around.
0: Yeah.
1: And it, and then that's how I found out that I had ADHD. I didn't know that was real. I thought it was made up, but basically how ADHD works and ADHD is a real precursor to a lot of addictions. And the reason is because folks who have true ADHD, you know, the, the dopamine levels are like in the frontal cortex of your brain. And when they're low, you know, that's your feel good chemical. And so for ADHD folks, they're really, really low. And so when you take a stimulant, like, you know, ADHD medicine or coffee, it raises your dopamine levels up to like um, a normal level, which is, you know, homeostasis, and you get more of a calm, relaxed setting. And so it made sense why I like, you know, street race cars and was always going after all this thrill-seeking growing up was because, you know, I was, I was kind of searching for that dopamine that I wasn't getting from my body naturally. And part of it did lead to being open to taking more risk than other people were, which is heavily favored in capitalism and entrepreneurial, you know, ship. The downside was it really limited my ability to focus for long periods of time. And so I took, there's a test for that. It's real. It's a medical thing. So if you, you know, instead of trying to self-diagnose, you know, I, people do whatever they want. I don't have a recommendation, but but what worked for me, so I went to a doctor and I took a real long test. And I remember, I wasn't that surprised about the dyslexia, but the ADHD came out of nowhere. And I remember sitting on the table on the paper and the, and the doctor comes in And I asked her, I said, do I have ADHD? And she started like busting out laughing, which doctors normally don't do. (laughs) Let's be real. They're pretty serious people, (laughs) right? It's like 28 years of school or something. And she goes, and I was like, yeah. She's like, you got like a perfect score. And I'm like, well, how how did nobody know about this? And she's like, well, I don't know. And she asked me some questions and she said, you know, did you struggle to concentrate? Did you, you know, yes. Did you, I said, but if I was something that I was really into, I would really get into it. And it I turned it in at school and it was great. right And she's right. like, "Yeah, And she goes, you know ADHD isn't the inability to concentrate, it's the inability, it's concentration that's just in spurts. So if it's something you're interested in, you can hyper focus and go all in, but it makes it very hard to have consistency. And one of the things I noticed in my income producing career, uh, that teaching helped it was it was the discipline, it was the consistency. It's one thing to do something once. But to be a successful business owner, for me, it's been about consistency, weekly metrics. And so finding that out was huge. Um, You know, I got on some, you know, medicine. And for the first time in my whole life, I could concentrate. I mean, it was literally like, yeah, it was like the second time I cried. Like I literally, I'd never been able to concentrate for more than just like five minutes. And so it was, and now I just use some like more natural therapies and things like that. But the point is, is that there is a biological component to success and it's not like something that you can, I'm not saying like, you know, it says you can't, or can't succeed, but you know, there are some things that can be in your favor or not in your favor and, you know, finding out more about yourself, being open to, you know, making yourself as peak performance as you can. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And that's been kind of my experience.
0: I think that it's acceptance and that's a hard thing um, a lot of, a lot of us to do is to accept our struggles, accept, you know, who we are by like the, the stigma around mental health is just incredible right now. And it's really hard for people to admit that they, that, that they might have some shit going on in their head. That's biological. It's not even their fault, but they feel like that's them. Like it's their fault. And it's not, and I love that message that you're giving because there is a hundred percent some biology going on. Everybody's predisposed to to something to to some something. You know, for me, it was substance abuse and alcohol and and sex and like you know those type of dopamine dopamine releasers. But to somebody else, it could be eating, it, it could be exercise, it could be anything. You know, we're all. We have predispositions in our brain chemistry and that's just the bottom line. And for us to ignore that and to think that everyone's the same. And if you're going to be, if you're acting a certain way, you're not right because you're acting that way. That's, that's just not, that's not correct. That's That is, I cannot say that that is more incorrect. We all just learn different. We all have different brain neural pathways. We learn differently. We remember things differently. So it's okay to have these differences, and sometimes those things in your brain have negative effects in your life and they need medi- They need to be medicated. They need to be stabilized. And that again, that's not you or your fault. It just is what it is. And that's right. okay. Like you got to hear this message that it's okay. Go and, and talk to some people, you know, and have them. We're, there's so many resources right now for mental health. And, and if you're thinking about starting a business, you're going to need to be healthy mentally. I promise you that because- there is some shit you're going to go through. Real estate is a juggernaut of a bit of an industry, but every industry is going to have failures. You're going to have people lie to you. You're going to have deals go through. You're going to, sales are going to go through, like things are going to happen. And if you're not mentally sound or you don't have coping mechanisms for your mental state, you're going to be in big trouble, both personally and financially, businessly, entrepreneurially. So listen to the message of, Learn about yourself, learn about who you are, what makes you, you, how do you tick uh, and why you get interested in certain things that you do, why you concentrate on certain things that you do or don't, you know, find those things out because then you're going to figure out how to be more, the most productive in your life. And, and you're then you're going to really find your gifts. And, and once you find your gifts and Steve Harvey said this, when you find your gifts and you match them with your dreams Watch out, man, because you're gonna move, you're gonna move mountains. You know, things gonna things are gonna happen and you're gonna make a difference in people's lives and your life.
1: I was uh, I was listening to him last night before I went to bed. He's amazing. Guy, Tyler Perry, there's so many guys out there. There's so many folks that like sort of uh, some some you know, people like business owners and stuff like still don't know about these guys. And it's like, how do you not know about these guys? These guys are amazing. I really love learning from um the you know, like, you know, Sam Walton, like, you know, did you know that there's a guy out there who went from nothing to a huge empire, multi-billion dollar empire. He's got an autobiography. He talks about how he does it and, you know, people haven't read it. And so I think like, you know, if you're curious about making money and starting a business and you're, um, and you're you know, open to, you know, changing and having, a, you know, allowing your mind to kind of shift and mold as you get new Knowledge and experience. That's and then you know read and take it in. You'll notice like I've noticed so many common themes from when I read you know Warren Buffett's books, uh, you know Snowball, um, all you know Charlie Munger's uh, huge huge book that he put together. But when you read all these books of successful people, it's like you see the same themes over and over. And the three themes that that I've seen in my real estate business from my most successful friends, and as as our, my success continues to grow, I'm noticing getting better at these three things. And what I've noticed is. Is that folks that I've met in my own experience that you know have experienced success have three things. One of them is consistent top line revenue. So if you look at their profit and loss statements, there's some consistency. You know uh, they get to a point where there's some consistency, and that consistency and top line revenue really allows you to be able to predict and forecast and plan for future growth. You know the other one is that you know, being able to look at the profit and loss statement and know how to push as much of the money from the top down to the bottom. So how to really be efficient with expenses and run it like a business. And then the third thing that's helped me a lot that I've learned from people in my group and my masterminds is uh, being able to hire people that make you look better than you really are. Uh, Because, you know, we can go, you know, pretty far on our own, but at some point you, you know, having a team is a, is a way to you know scale and get help, and it doesn't even have to be W two employees, but just people who are good. So attracting the right people to the team, having consistency and top line revenue, and then knowing how to you know consistently push as much to the bottom line, or some of those tactical business things that you know I learned. And if I had a closed mindset and I thought it was just all about you know one of those or two of those, I don't think it would have things wouldn't have accelerated as fast as they had. So um, just being really open to being around smart people, uh, improving myself. And then, um, you know, just, you know, continue to work on it has been all the difference for me. And even in the light of some of these challenges that we talked about earlier,
0: let's, let's dig into your real estate because I, we've talked a lot about so far about just real mindset stuff and a little bit about your past, but as, as two fellow real estate investors, I'm super interested in what you're doing right now, uh, where your philosophies are at in your business uh, what's the name of your business? You know, where's your markets at? What are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm super interested in what you're doing in Texas.
1: Yeah, sure. So I started, um, my company savior, like our Lord and savior home buyers. Um, and, and so I, that's my home buying business. You can check it out on Facebook and see some of the stuff that we're doing. Basically what happened was like, I was, I started real estate investing in 2015 in Dallas, Fort Worth. And probably fast forward two years later, I had done about 50, you know, single family deals, the average ARV like 250. And we were flipping them and um, doing some rentals and a little bit of wholesale, but mostly fix and flip and just took it all the way to retail. The market's pretty strong here. And so, So long story short is that I was doing a lot of marketing and pretty much everything. I mean, every list, you know, I was stacking different lists. I was, um, you know, having all these follow-up systems. I had somebody build out a podio system for me. I was doing all these things that, you know, the tactical X's and O's. But what I was noticing was as more competition was coming into the market, more hedge funds were coming in, um, you know, my my return on marketing spend was getting smaller and smaller. And, uh, you know, so my... My antidote was to do more of what wasn't working as well, which probably wasn't the greatest idea. Probably should have like said, done something else. And so I kind of went through three phases and I'll just go through them real quick. Phase one was I had to identify what the problem was. So I had to be aware that something was changing. There was a metric I was following. When I noticed that it wasn't hard to figure out the problem. Basically, I was sending out the same messages to, all, you know, to the same list as all the other fix and flippers and wholesalers in my area was. So I needed to send out a different message. And I thought one way to do that, I was also kind of miserable because I missed being a teacher where I was so happy. I got so much satisfaction and it was so relational and I I'm a relational kind of person. I don't really just, I don't want to just do faceless stuff and make money. I rather make a 10th of the money, but like get to be with people. This is the best part. And so I felt like it was very transactional and I was really just like a, like a dime a dozen real estate investor. And, you know, I go to these houses and there was like 20 other investors and I was like, this sucks. So I made a list of what was important to me. And for me, I had three criteria. I wanted to make good profit in my, in my, on my deals. I didn't care about impressing people at my mastermind, how many deals I did. I just wanted to have high profit deals because it took about the same amount of work to do a deal that, you know, would net, you know, 40 instead of 20. So why don't I just do those? So I wanted to do more profitable deals. I wanted to work with, I want to do deals where the seller that I was working with, there was minimal resistance to my offer. They were just somebody who saw me more as like a consultant, a guide. And then I wanted to have fun. I wanted to work with people I had fun with. And so I just went, by that point, I had done about 50 deals. Um, So I just went through my list and I was like, okay, well, how many of them met all three? Mm -hmm. And most of them didn't, but the ones that did, like you don't have to be a math teacher to figure out the pattern. And and, in my market, it was seniors. And it was, they were all senior homeowners that met all three. And I was like, okay, this is my niche. Like, this is what I, and it makes sense. Like I said, my grandma helped take care of me. I took care of her. I mean, if you went to my birthday parties growing up, there's a bunch of old ladies there <laughs> I met, my, I met my wife at church bingo, you know, like, I mean, this you can't make this up. So it's like, it kind of makes sense. And what I was noticing was these seniors are hus- just like my grandma, but they didn't have a grandson to help them. And their husbands passed away. They're in these houses. They, you know, they got health situation and there's like a lot going on at once. And, and so I would learn more about senior housing. I started helping them find other places to live for free, like assisted living centers and places like that. And I was loving it. And um, And I was, and I noticed that I was getting deals accepted for like, you know, less money than their highest offer. And it was because, you know, I asked them why, they're like, you know, we trust you. Like trust was really important to these folks. And, you know, they were full equity on these deals. You're coming to the end of your life. So, you know, you're going with somebody else that you don't trust for a thousand bucks. Like it's not, it's not worth it. So, so I was like, okay, I know what's wrong. I'm going to go after my niche. And originally it was really scary because I'm trying to do more profit and make more money. And now I'm going to go after like a smaller segment of people. So I was, I still had a little bit of a scarcity mindset. I didn't realize there's so many people, and when you really target the message, our response rate went way up, and it totally, you know, counteracted it. You know, the effects of going after a more targeted group, so it was way better. I mean, Dan Kennedy, a great marketer, says the riches are in the niches. I kind of believed it, but I was still nervous. It really did was true, and so, and so I was at. I'll just kind of wrap it up. I was at a motivated seller's house. I was buying the house, and the adult daughter was there. She's like in her fifties. And she said, You know, you've like helped our family out a ton. I helped the dad find somewhere else to live. I bought their house. They're like, You know, we, um, you know, so much about this, you know, like you should write a book about this. And I was like, No, I don't think so. Like I was, you know, I was reading better, but I mean, I'm not a writer. You know, I was a math teacher. And I was like, But I appreciate that, you know. And then I thought about it and I was like, You know, I have met some people who wrote books to kind of, you know, propel their careers and their businesses. And if I did write a book, you know, I could go from the person in my area. By this point in Dallas-Fort Worth, yeah, you know, I was kind of known as the person who focused on senior housing, like that expert. And I was like, you know, I could go from the person who knew a lot about senior housing to the person who wrote the book on it. And so, so that's what I did. I just made a list of all the questions I got asked in people's living rooms on their 1978 Sears, you know, couch, and um, I just wrote out the questions that I've been asked a million times. I wrote out you know, the answers and some pros and cons and connected people to resources that I wasn't even making money with. And it took about 200 hours. But when I wrote my first book, I just printed it out and uh, about a hundred copies and start giving it away as my business card. And it led to becoming an incredibly powerful marketing tool that now, um, you know, we rely on a lot and it has a lot of leverage. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's been good. And so I never... Never. I mean, I never would have imagined. I remember when I printed the book out. So this was like two years ago, you know, and three years before that, I wasn't reading any books and I couldn't even read good. And I I was not really concentrating very well. And I was always my whole life. I was bouncing around to different things. And now it's like, I'm concentrating, I'm reading, you know, and now I wrote a book. I remember looking at it and being like, I just can't believe it. And, um, and I've written a bunch of books and, And I run into people sometimes that I went to high school with or, you know, um, I worked with at companies when I first got started. And when they find out what I'm up to now, like they never would have saw it in a million years. And it's like it's because all of us here have the power to do it if we want to. Right. And it's it's not going to, you know, it comes from within. That's why all the signals aren't there to everybody else. That's why they're surprised when people find out what you're up to now, because you made the decision to make a change and get better. And, you know, the results can happen. I mean, I I think if they can happen to me, they can happen to anybody.
0: Yeah. It's just self-development. You, you made the active decision to better yourself and not, and, and be different. You, 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 you walked in fear to be different and and to not, to not be one of the masses to to stand out. That's an incredible story and congratulations on, on, and we're going to get into your books here in a minute, but for those early entrepreneurs just starting out and maybe wanting to get into real estate, tell us about your first deal. How'd you get your first deal and and how'd you fund it? How'd you pay for it? Like people are, I was a real, you know, I was, I knew nothing about real estate other than what I saw on HGTV, but, and, and some summer jobs in high school. So, you know, and, and I, I invested into a, a very expensive educational program that helped me through those for people who, who don't have that option. And who don't have someone around them to be a coach, but make it, maybe just only has podcasts. What? How? Tell them how you got your first deal. Uh, maybe some some creative ways to close on your first deal if you're looking to get into real estate with with not not much or any um, prior deals.
1: Yeah. So when I got started in real estate, we we had just had our fifth girl. So my wife's working at a church. Wow. I'm i I'm teaching 140 kids algebra. And we literally just had our fifth daughter. We're living in this little fourteen hundred square foot house. Now my neighbor's like a CEO and an orthopedic surgeon. So like you just you can't make this stuff up. It's so different. Like I kind of can't even believe it sometimes. Right. So but so like I had every reason to not do anything. <laughs> like right, if I right, had right. said if anybody, if anybody goes, well, like if I said, you know, I just don't feel like I have enough time to start a, a whole nother business. People would understand.
0: Right. But I did it
1: anyways. I remember. So what I did was I was in the same boat. I didn't have a ton of money because uh, I was a school teacher. I right. drove an old Buick that right. uh, I got from my grandma when she passed away. Right. So, um, you know, I drove a, a, it was like a 2000 park Avenue, you know, and I rode my bike to school to save money. I was into Mr. Money mustache. Like I didn't, my mind has like totally changed people. Like you can't even believe it. Like I used to make my own food to save money and I was hunting deer with a, with a bow and arrow. Cause I thought I was saving money. Now, you know, I pay people to do all sorts of stuff. I do like things, the weirdest things, you know, it's like so different, but yeah. So I was just, uh, I wanted to find somebody local and I had, I had heard this guy, Chad Carson, who now we're colleagues, you know, peers, and he's a great guy. And he had said, you know, if you don't have money to invest in a coaching program, find somebody local help you. And so I went to a RIA club, the leader of it, let me work for him for free. You know, that was really, so I remember going on the interview to try to get him to let me work for him for free. And uh, my daughter was like two weeks old and um, he said, yes, I made like a flip chart presentation before a lot of computers, I guess, or maybe it was on the computer, but he could tell I put some time into it. I really wanted to do this and I worked for him and it was really hard. And then, but I learned a lot. And then I got my first deal from a Craigslist ad. I answered the phone um, you got to answer the phone people. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And I remember when they said, when you get a true motivated seller, you can't screw it up. And I think that's true. And the guy was like, you know, he was calling some people for his dad. He needed to sell the house. I booked an appointment, went over there. We got under contract for like 56,000. And then, uh it was in really bad shape. And this was, you know, uh, 2015. Mm-hmm. And then we did a inspection on top of it, which we don't do anymore now, but I was just getting started, found some stuff negotiate down to like 48 and then um I followed Joe McCall's advice on some video on YouTube and it showed me how to pull a, a list from list source I'd never heard of that before and I found all the pe- cash buyers in my area and I have a video of me and the four big girls um because the baby couldn't help and we're literally we had printed like 350 of these letters um and we were folding them at the kitchen table and putting them in the envelopes and I got a lot of calls from that and I sold The house to one of those people who had bought cash properties in the area, made about 16K on my first house. Um, I actually got another house under contract that same week, tried to wholesale it, but I didn't know I had bought it too high and I had to release it. You know, people always talk about the wins, but you know, there's losses too. Um, My second deal was a house that was in a really bad neighborhood, and um, that was a big mistake. And then I was going to seller finance it, Mm -hmm. but I decided instead to go retail because seller finance, you can do it. But it's like, you know, all these niches are like a whole nother business. Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. So, so by the time I was on like deal number three is when I left my job. But I mean, the first one was wholesaling. It didn't take any money. The second one, um, I took the house down with a, a line of credit. So one of the good things about doing the Dave Ramsey plan we went from being in debt to um, you know having some surplus. But when it's funny, when you use your credit a lot, your credit sometimes isn't very good. Right. But we hadn't used one credit card for two years, and our credit score was amazing. So my friend said, "Well, if your credit's good, you can go get some uh, lines of credit and um, you know qualify, and then that might help you." And I was able to qualify for a fair amount, even with a limited income. Mm-hmm. And that was that's what allowed me to buy that next house, and it was affordable. I live in an affordable area. Um, and then, you know, just, it's sort of a progression, you know, everybody knows about it. Then I went to community banks. I'd done a couple of deals at that point. I put 20% down on those and that was really good. Then I started going hard money. Then I went private money and now it's just private money. But, but yeah, you can do it if you want to. And, uh, I mean, I think you can, I know I did. And I had a, I was, it was, I was working full time during the day. And then I had, I had a VA that I hired to help me because I couldn't answer the phone during the day. And that was kind of cool because it helped me set up some systems and then just got around people and kind of copied them. Right. That's it.
0: So VA, VA is a virtual assistant and they're, they're really inexpensive. They're usually overseas. And what a lot of money to them is not very much money to us. Uh, so, so it is affordable and, and you can really find some good, uh, some good VAs to help you out. Yeah. The, and the want to. Right. You you keep going back to like, if you want to, and you say it so casually, it's funny. If you want to, you can do it. And it's true. Like it, if you want to do it, you can do it. Fucking go do it. Like, stop complaining, stop complaining, stop making excuses for yourself and go after. It's never, ever, ever too late to go after whatever you're dreaming about, man. If you got lung air in your lungs, man, you got, you got the opportunity, but your want to has got to be big enough. Your want to has got to be bigger than your comfortability. And until that happens, you, you'll always you'll always sit your ass back down on the couch and not do it. <laughs> yeah, I think I like uh Ty
1: Lopez. He talks about uh the deserve it factor. And he says people who get a lot deserve a lot, or people who deserve a lot get a lot. And 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 so increasing your deserve it factor. And when you are, you know, really, you know, for me, like if you're I'm I'm in these houses, these rent houses with no electricity at you know eight o'clock at night, and it's freezing cold, and I'm working for free, and you know I got like a master's degree, and I'm like interning for free. I get fired at any moment. Like I just, if you just do these kind of things and keep learning long enough, eventually your deserve it factor gets so high that you know the results will come because it's like. Think about who you're competing against. A bunch of people who don't really say they want to do stuff, but they don't want to do stuff.
0: Right. Right. You went out and got another job for free. You got, you, you actually interviewed for a free job. (laughs) Yeah. You actually interviewed for a free job, but that's what sets you apart. That's what sets you apart from every other investor around you right now. You know, what, where's your edge. I, and I agree. I work. I, I heard someone say entrepreneurs are the only people who will work 80 hours to get out of working 40 hours. You know, it's, it's a lot of grind. There is a lot of stuff. There's, you need balance, but you learn balance with an entrepreneurship and believe me, the deeper you get into entrepreneurship, those tables tip a little bit and, and your free time, your, your time, you get your time back. You get your time back as you become more stabilized entrepreneur and a more seasoned entrepreneur. You're going to get your time back. So don't worry about that right now. Right now, worry about making really good, small decisions every single day and staying consistent. Don't get bored with consistency. You know, I left a $150,000 job as a director of banquets to go knock on doors, basically for free. It was 100% commission based, but I was one of those dudes knocking on your door, asking you if you'd like to switch from Comcast to Verizon. You know, I, I, and I was actually even selling makeup at one point, but I, you know, I did that. Because I needed to learn how to talk to people, how to sell, I needed to be uncomfortable. Like I needed a full shakeup in my life. And and I made the decision to go do that. And I was horrible at it, but that experience taught me so much. And yeah, and it, it I grew so much from those six months in that. But who's gonna give up a hundred and fifty thousand dollar job to go do that? Because they want to be an entrepreneur and they wanna be a successful real estate investor. Yeah. Not many no. not very many people will, will, will probably do that. Because that's a real tough thing to give up, yeah. But my relationship with money had to change, and so that too is part of this process. Like, there's you you you, you nailed it at the top of the show when you said there. You know, there's a difference between being an entrepreneur and and, and just making money or or being a businessman. You know, like there's so much more to being a, a business, an entrepreneur, mindset, physical fitness. You know education, constant edu- education, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and trying new things, doing things that people don't want to do, doing things you don't want to do, but that you want to is bigger than your comfortability, you know? And, and so you, you nailed it. You nailed it with that.
1: Well, good. Yeah. No, I've, I, you know, different growth areas. I mean, for me, I've really tried to focus on getting mastery of, of uh, time, value, and relationships. I've noticed that my friends who, have you know, been doing this a lot longer and they're doing really well. They they understand how to build good relationships. They're masters of their time and they're, you know, you know, they're measuring their time and what they're doing with it very closely. And they they truly understand like how to bring value to the marketplace and that's how we get paid. And so um, you know, those are there's and it's funny my bookshelf over here, that's how I have it organized by time value and relationships. And usually anytime that there's an area that you know like you know, I'm struggling in the most, it's, it has to do with, you know, not having, you know, that knowledge and then applying it. And so, um, but yeah, being an entrepreneur is, um, yeah, I don't know if it's for everybody, um, but it's open to everybody. I mean, that's why people are coming from all over the world to, to come here because, you know, one of the downsides, you know, there, is there a lot of um, income inequality in America? Yeah. One of the reasons, cause there's a lot of opportunity, you know, there's some places where you can, have a high deserve it factor and you, if you want to, is really high, but you literally don't have the opportunity to create a lot of additional value in the marketplace. And, and, you know, and here we do. And so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, I feel like it's kind of open for everybody and there's a lot of great shows like yours that, you know, uh, folks can learn and um, figure it out. And then, you know, when they want to do it, they can, but I, I don't know, you know, I won't say that, you know, like the, the path that I have followed, I'm not saying it will work for everyone, but it can, you know, you just have to put, you have to put some work in.
0: Right. Yeah. It it can, it definitely can. It's the life that you want is out there, but it's going to take hard work. It's going to take hard work. It's going to take commitment. It's going to take discipline and it's going to take sacrifice. So you, you just know that going into it. And, and usually if you're not succeeding the way you want to one of those things are out of balance one of those things you're just not all in on yet on your entrepreneurial journey so max i know you're a writer now and and you got books we're coming up at the top of the hour so uh, uh, i want to make sure that we we give you some time to talk about what you've written what your books are where people can find them what you're writing about now and what you're what you're thinking about writing next
1: yeah sure so what we do is kind of unusual um so i like I said, I picked my niche, seniors. I wrote a how-to book. It's not a memoir. It's not my life story. Because honestly, my ideal prospect, they're looking for solutions for their house. They don't really want to hear about my life story. Um, they, they want solutions to their problems. And so the book is solutions to their problems. It's all the things that I was saying to them from the living room for four hours and then to their kids, you know, adult children for four hours, but I can put it in a book. And what I noticed was is that you know when I'd give them the book, they looked at me very different. And they saw me as you know the expert because the other people in my market didn't have a book, and they. One of the other things that I wanted to touch on was is, you know there's three kinds of people: there's takers, there's matchers, and there's givers. And you know a taker will take and they don't give a crap about you. And a matcher is like you know you know uh, Justin I'll do this for you if you do this for me right. And then a giver just gives and they don't expect anything in return. And so one of the reasons I feel like I was really unsuccessful before I became a teacher was I was really a matcher. I I was calculating and I, you know, I played chess growing up and I was always trying to strategize and position, but I really wasn't just giving to give. And when, when you teach math, you know, and you're at inner city school, you're not there for the pay. And, you know, so having kids, seeing these kids, um, you know, really like, like it'd be such a big difference from, you know, like ninth grade, that's like, you know, that's like kind of a fork in the road, you know, and I, and I saw these kids go from just like no confidence and, and and really going down the wrong path to like confidence and like doing really well and so i saw the power of giving and i saw how giving without asking for anything in return was like a true superpower and it, and it fit into like who i naturally was and so when i started real estate i i led with that mindset and that served me very well in the book that's what it was it was just about giving most of the people we give the book to we don't ever help directly but you know, it's just, it signals to the person on the other side that, you know, like this is somebody that that we can trust. You know, they're here to help us. And so I just started using it as my business card. People start passing it around. I start getting asked to speak at places. And, um, you know, I'd go over to somebody's house. I'd already given them a copy of my book. And it's like they knew who I, they knew me, you know, and I was like pre sold before I walked in the door. And then we created a book on private money because a lot of people are nervous about going up to people and asking for money and pitching their deals. And so instead of pitching their deals, you know, we pitch you know value first. And it's basically we created a how-to guide that you can give a potential private money lender, somebody who um, you know maybe is involved in the stock market. They want to maybe do something different, but they don't know how it works. And in the book, it teaches them like, okay, what's a good deal? What's not? How to vet out a borrower? Ask these questions. And so it's like this really comprehensive guide that's like 1% me, 99% what somebody with, you know, some net worth wants to know. And we found that to be a real, like a, like an entrepreneurial aphrodisiac. And, you know, instead of hunting people down and chasing people and looking desperate, we just share what we're doing. And then we attract the people that we want. So we're not like deep sea fishing for three hours, trying to get the fish on the boat. Like you can do that. You can talk people into stuff but it's really, really tiring. So our method is more like we're sharing what we're doing and it plays into my natural style anyways, because I was a teacher and I like teaching people things and I like learning things, applying it and then getting results and then showing other people how they can get results. I think that's just what God put me on the planet to do. And I've been doing it a while and I just love doing it. And so that's what we're doing with our books. So I was just using them for me and it was working really well. Mm -hmm. And then the folks in my mastermind were like, Hey Max, you know, like that's, you know, really cool what you're doing. Like, can we get involved in this? Can we use these? You know, like I'm in St. Louis, I'm in you know California. You're not there. How do we use this? And so we came up with a proprietary way that, uh, with just about an hour of of uh, the real estate investor's effort, we write them into the book. We change about five percent of it, and then we teach them how to use it in their marketing. Um, you know, to position themselves. You know, as somebody who's leading with value, and so it becomes kind of the. The cornerstone marketing piece. So that's what we do now. And um, I created a gift for your viewers as we're wrapping up your listeners. So we created the first of its kind book called The Real Estate Investor Book Writing Checklist. So if somebody's listening and they're like, they understand the power of, you know, even a business owner, it doesn't have to be real estate, but you understand, you know, kind of conceptualize the power of handing somebody a book versus a business card. Uh, the book teaches you how to structure the book. It's the book I wish I had when I started it, instead of taking 200 hours, it would have taken a lot less. So for the kind of DIY real estate investor, um, they can go to dealschasingyou.com forward slash B-A-L-U-N-S-A-T. Awesome. And we can put a link somewhere and they can get a free copy of that. And then for kind of the ROI investor who just time is money and they don't have time to write a book themselves, they can just go to that same website. They can look at our videos and understand how we do what we do. And, and you can feel free to
0: reach out if you have any questions. Awesome, man. Max, yeah. thank you so so much for sharing a little bit about your story, your successes, the things that you're doing. Thank you for reaching out uh, and and just considering this podcast as a as a platform to share, because uh, that's what it is. It's a place for people to come and learn and grow and be open to to new ways of doing and thinking and living and being. So, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for for sharing your knowledge, your little, your little nuggets along the way and, and sharing, letting us into your life a little bit personally and professionally. Congratulations on, on all your successes on, on just your continued growth uh, with, with books and with real estate. And, and, you know, I hope that this relationship can continue past this because uh, again, real estate investors, I always love seeing what, what other people are doing, how I can fit that into what I'm doing and, and help one another. So, thank you so much. Where can people find you? Um, you know, uh, do you have a, a website they can go to? Instagram, Facebook, where they can find you? Yeah, they can just go to dealschasingyou.com.
1: Uh, and we've got like a ton of free content on there, and they can look up and see what we're doing and. But we've created some innovation uh, in the space this, uh we got an award and that was me and Robert Kiyosaki, which was like really cool when we got the innovation of the year award at this big industry conference for what we're doing. So, yeah, it's just, you know, you got doing things differently, you can get different results and um, they can check out what we're doing and it's kind of unique and, uh, you know, maybe it'll help them. So I'm sure it can.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it can. It, it sounds like everything, everything that's coming out of your domain right now can help somebody. So again, thank you so much for the time, for the effort, for the vulnerability, for sharing your story and, and giving our listeners, uh, something, some, some action items that they can take away and start, start implementing right now. So Max, thanks again. And, and to my listeners, thank you guys again for checking out the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast and another very successful episode. Until next time, guys, take care of yourselves. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. If you haven't done so already, head on over to your favorite podcast provider to subscribe and download the Alcoholic Entrepreneur Podcast. And if you or anyone you know is struggling with substance abuse or addiction issues, please point them to this podcast. Let them know they are not alone. And at the very least, reach out. DM me, and I'll do what I can from where I'm at. Be well, guys.